0: <laughs> if anyone wants to get me a birthday present,
1: get you a lichen?
0: <laughs> have a lichen.
1: Forget all of these succulents that everyone's buying because they need so
2: much yeah. water and, like,
1: pff, yeah. get a lichen.
2: Yeah, and lichens will tell you if your air quality is any good, too, so that's another thing, right? Yeah. Exactly.
0: I mean, I live in Rome, so maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Welcome to Not Yet a Doctor, the podcast where we use our imaginations to take us from magnetic north to the inside of a nose. (laughs) And today we're actually going to travel to a variety of different ecosystems in our imaginations but probably with a little bit of a focus on Canada because I am Canadian and my name is Sienna. I'm your major host for the day but not the only host. Uh, I am doing a PhD in neuroscience at McGill.
0: My name is Beth. I'm something of a more minor host in this uh, in this week's enterprise, I am a particle physics PhD student at Sapienza University of Rome.
1: And my name is Alistair. I am the subatomic host for today. <laughs> and I am also coming to you from Canada. I am an analytical chemistry PhD student at Queen's University.
2: Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Can I just query? Why are you allowed to
0: be subatomic? <laughs> that's, my, that's my area. I was going to say,
2: Alistair, you seem to be moving closer and closer to physics every single episode.
0: <laughs> Come over to the dark side.
1: Beth, you have always said that chemistry is just applied physics, and so yeah, I sir. thought I would apply my physics or <laughs> chemistry <laughs> and become subatomic for today.
2: <laughs> well, Beth, you can be micro today for your um, microorganisms, I guess. All right. You can have biology today. I'm going to take ecology, I guess, kind of, or botany, maybe. My mom
0: would be so proud.
2: (laughs) So I'm going to start us off with a question, as we often do, to kind of introduce us to our topic. So guys, do you know what a lichen is? Isn't that a thing on Facebook?
0: (laughs) 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 Yeah, I'm pretty sure oh funny
1: <laughs> there's gonna be many more of those jokes to come yeah, i'm sure so
2: clever
0: um i personally would liken it uh. to something like moss
2: <laughs> okay that's a pretty common um misunderstanding but yes
0: all i know oh. is that it's something that lichens <laughs> that likens
2: being <laughs> in clean air in the air in clean air yes That is a really true fact. I'm going to send you guys a folder. Essentially, it has some pictures we're going to look at today. And I know we can't obviously show our viewers these pictures, but I think it's going to help you guys picture this, you know? Okay. All right.
1: And when this episode comes out, they can be available on our Instagram page. Yeah. For viewers to flip along as they listen.
2: I mean, maybe some of them. I'm sure you've seen them around, especially you, Alistair, growing up in BC. You must have seen a lichen before yeah but do you guys have any idea what they are
0: yeah we have lichens in england in england too
2: we have lichens everywhere in fact but so yeah lichens i i was joking
1: about the facebook thing i have seen yes. lichens and actually you sent one photo of this i assume it's a lichen on a twig um yeah and this makes me think of something that we had when i was growing up called old man's beard and it would yeah. grow down from the trees and i guess it was a lichen because it's very dry it's not uh-huh. moist like moss <laughs> um, and it just, it was called Old Man's Beard because it looks like this beard hanging down from the trees. And we would like pick it off of the trees as kids and like pretend it was yeah. our hair or like make beards out of it and stuff.
2: That's fun. And it makes for really good fire starter, actually. Yes. If you ever need to start a fire in the wilderness, Old Man's Beard is mm. great for that. If it's, dr- if it's dry, if it's wet, it's obviously not very useful. But so what color was the Old Man's Beard you had? It was like green, kind of white and green. Okay, white and green, yeah. So yeah, that is a lichen, that's for sure a lichen. I don't know, Beth, if you have, can think of any lichens from your childhood.
0: None of these lichens look like what I think a lichen looks like. Yeah. Which is flat, mm-hmm. but kind of granular.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, like, lives on, yes, okay, all wood, like sticks and twigs and maybe some trees, but also stones, like bridges or whatever. Yeah if they're old enough and if they're in like a clean enough air environment that's what i associate lichen with
2: yeah and that's like also a very common form of lichen so those are really good descriptions of lichens and i liked what you said beth like a lot of people kind of conflate lichens with mosses because they grow in very similar environments they often grow right next to each other and they have kind of like similar looking features sometimes but lichens are not at all like mosses, really. So, I'm just going to give you a quick background on the history of lichens because I thought this was very funny. Um, I was reading this paper from 1919 from the American Bryological and Lichenological (laughs) Society. (laughs) A short history of lichenology by Charles C. Plitt, November 1919. So, I was reading this paper because I wanted to read about the short history of lichenology. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes papers from 1919 aren't necessarily super accurate or contain all of the historical information, especially ones written by uh, white men. But at least I was able to get some information about <laughs> the history of lichenology according to, I don't know, according to academia, I guess. And so do you guys know who Careless Linnaeus is? Yeah, I recognize that name. Um... Oh, Yeah he was a scientist Um, there's actually a statue of him in Lund, because he was he's a swedish scientist although his name has been translated into non-swedish i guess like anglified his name was latinized because most of his writing was in latin because he's the father of modern taxonomy so he came up with a whole method of classifying nature and a lot plants also animals, but he came up with the kingdom phylum.
1: Class, order, genus, species. Kings play chess on fine-grained sand. Yeah,
2: Yeah. thank you. I don't remember it because I don't care. (laughs) 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 It doesn't matter anymore (laughs) for me because I just study neurons and they don't fall under any of these. (laughs) But anyways, so there's a statue of him in our little town that we all lived in together in Lund. And he, yeah, formalized binomial nomenclature. So that's like Homo sapiens is thanks to Carolus Linnaeus. And he was responsible for classifying a ton of plants and animals. I have a question. Yeah.
0: I have a feeling that I heard that he was a e- eugenicist.
2: Oh, yeah. Okay. Scandinavian-born Carolus Linnaeus' work, Systema Naturae, was the first to create a classification of race based on skin color, and different races were actually said to be different species of living things. You're right. He was very bad this way. I mean, unsurprisingly, white men who decide to classify things uh do a really problematic job of it
0: often
2: yeah what he said about lichens was um they weren't worth really studying and he dubbed them the rustici poporimi of vegetation which and i'm reading this now from the 1919 paper which has been quite properly translated the poor trash of vegetation <laughs> <And> <laughs> he is wrong. i just want to say right off the bat he's so wrong lichens are not um poor trash they are incredible and it's actually so there was also a man before him called Joseph Piton de Tournefort, who wrote a lot about grouping of plants as well. So he kind of characterized lichens as part of the plant groupings, but like separate from other types of plant groupings, such as trees, shrubs, mosses, that type of thing. And then there was a student of Linnaeus called Eric Icarius and he was actually the one who was very dedicated, did the Linnaeus thing of drawing and classifying lichens, because obviously Linnaeus didn't find them worthwhile um (laughs) so that's in your files as well you can look at pretty pictures by erica carius drawings from the um 1800s of lichens and you'll see that they look a lot like the lichens we know and love today too Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: they're really nice drawings yeah
2: right i do i one of my favorite things in science was like back before people had cameras (laughs) looking at the drawings that people made of these biological things, because they're like you actually had to be quite a talented artist, I guess, to yeah do this, which is cool. Mm-hmm. um But yeah, so they have all these kind of like weird, different structures. Sometimes look sprouty, really often look flat and crusty, and like they grow on trees, they grow on stones, they grow on bark, they grow on plenty of other things. Oh, and they also had like a lot of historical uses. So obviously, these men were not the first to discover lichens or think of them as important. People have used dyes like lichens to dye clothing for a long 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 time and they've also been the traditional food for many different like indigenous people in north america and also in nepal too so food yeah they have a lot of uses to humans that have been like medicinal food for dyeing for art this type of thing Mm -hmm. and a fun interesting one that you guys will have heard of because it gained a really great science use is this Old Norse word that means to dye or color, and the term, the word is litmus. Oh, interesting.
0: Ah, the litmus test.
2: Yeah, so the litmus test for our listeners is this piece of paper that if you dip it in something acidic, it turns red. But if you dip it in something basic, it turns blue. So this was derived from lichens. Lichens were the source of litmus, and that's how we got litmus paper. Of the word litmus. No, no, of the... Chemical compound. <laughs> oh. It's it's the same dye. People have been using lichens to dye cloth purple, but the same dye and compound has also what made litmus oh, paper. Oh,
1: that's really interesting. Wow. Because like you can use you can use red cabbage as an indicator. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Because the compounds in red cabbage change color based on pH. So you could
2: same thing with theoretically lichens. use
1: certain lichens.
2: And cool. but I mean like lichens are also not just theoretically used, but very practically used to make litmus. Mm. So very exciting stuff about lichens. So what are lichens though? Lichens are a very special kind of organism and this is because it's not just one thing, it is actually two. So lichens are a symbiosis of two different organisms and which is a fungus and a cyanobacteria or an algae and sometimes both. Interesting. Essentially symbiosis the term means two living things that work together or like exist together are dependent on each other in some way, right? And there's different types of symbiosis, but the symbiosis term itself was actually invented to describe lichens. Cool. Because no, Because lichens really? are, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> This was like where it started, first started being used. And symbiosis has this very positive connotation for that because lichens are obviously two organisms working together. But there's actually a lot of different types of symbiotic relationships, such as parasitism, which is not very good. But you don't think, when you think symbiosis, you don't think, oh yeah, parasites. You think, oh, living things working together, and yeah. that's because lichens kind of invented the term. Mm. I think this is speculation on my part, but I feel like the uh, positive connotation of the word symbiosis comes from the fact that it came from the description of what is known as a now like a mutualistic symbiotic relationship, which means the working together of multiple organisms mm. that are beneficial for both.
0: I always thought that it was a positive term, that it was. Yeah,
2: exactly, and it's not. That's what I, mean. <laughs> I mean, it's not not a positive term. But uh, it technically can be used to describe parasitic relationships as well between organisms. So right. sometimes a symbiotic relationship can also be where one organism benefits and the other one does not benefit.
0: Interesting. That's mm-hmm.
2: also symbiosis. So, yeah, they're super cool. So they're this fungus and either what it's called is a mycobiont. So myco for fungus and biont means just living thing, I guess. And then also a, what is known as the photobiont. And photo because the fungus needs the cyanobacteria or the algae to take light and produce energy. So the photobiont stands for the fact that this creature is what's taking light and producing energy, and it can, yeah, it can be either one. And so and it
1: passes that along to the fungus. In so
2: yeah, um, one of the best ways to describe it, and that I've heard, is that lichens are really just fungus that farm. And so the fun fact, what I wanna, I, wanna, <laughs> I wanna talk about this for a second because I think a lot of people, the misconceptions about lichens being like plants, like mosses are, I think comes from the misconception that funguses are like plants somewhat. Mm-hmm. So funguses are not very similar to plants in some ways. And I think this main way is that funguses rely on getting food from other creatures. So they're actually like us, they have to eat things to survive. And so the uh, structures of fungi are called hyphae. If you, I don't know if you've heard of mycelium, which are like the long thread-like fungus structures that live under the soil. And the things that we think of as like actual mushrooms are just the blooming spore bodies that like are involved in reproduction, but typically we never see much of the fungal body. It's the, in these mm-hmm. really long strands and like networks in soil is the way I think of it. And it's called these hyphae. And the hyphae in some fungi, the hyphae will grow into these loops that actually trap certain types of worms in the soil, nematodes, and then they secrete digestive enzymes and digest the worms. That's crazy. Yeah. So fungus can hunt. Yeah, or fungi can hunt. So that's why fungi now can also farm, and that's yeah. <laughs> so it's pretty, pretty wild. So yeah. So there you have the mycobiont, which is the fungus, and that's really like the main component of the. The fungal cells make up a lot of what is the structure of the lichen Mm. and then you have the photobiont, which is typically just like a layer underneath the outer layer of the fungus that is there to collect light and produce carbohydrates and produce food. But like the thing is, the algae is also getting something out of this because the algae, it means algae can't really live outside of wet climates normally, but within a lichen they're able to survive for much longer time without water. And then they also, together, they produce different vitamins and molecules. And they, like, extract different vitamins and molecules that they both depend on. So, really, they exist together in, like, a mutually beneficial partnership. That's so cool. Yeah.
1: I never knew that it was, like, two organisms working together. Yeah. In symbiosis.
2: Yes. That's, yeah.
0: Yeah. I always just assumed that it was, like, a thing. Like, an organism.
2: Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I mean... The thing is, the fungus that is involved in the lichen doesn't grow outside of its partnership with a algae ever pretty much. So mm-hmm. they are in some ways one organism because you can't really I think sometimes the algae can grow on its own or survive on its own, but like together, especially in the environments that they have habitat on rock surfaces, they they can't live on that rock without being in that form which is dependent on both of them being there. So in some ways, they're, yeah, they are made up of more than one type of organism, but they really can't live without each other, which is fascinating and like very different to like a lot of other yeah. things that we understand and know of. But because of these special properties and just because of their biology and other things, which we can talk more about later, but I just wanted to kind of talk about like their main, their main cool fact is that because of their structure they're incredibly resistant to harsh environments. And so like they can just kind of lie dormant when they don't like the situation they're in and wait for it to get better. So typically this means like, because they don't have a way of kind of preserving water inside their body. So they don't have any vasculature or like veins or anything like that. Plants have vasculature to pull water up from the ground and stuff. And that's why they have roots. Lichens don't. Lichens are just kind of one structure. And so when it rains they take the water and they turn on photosynthesis with the algae and they start growing and they start producing structures and they, like, expand. But as soon as it turns dry again and they run out of water, they just lie dormant and wait. Wow.
0: That in itself is a pretty great skill because, like... Yeah. You know, if you got hungry one day and you could just lie there and be like, well, you know what, I'm just going to wait until somebody comes and feeds me, that would be pretty great.
2: hmm Yeah
0: having to go and make your own dinner
2: <laughs> the great thing about it is that it means they're incredibly good at colonizing harsh environments such as when you have freshly like hardened lava that has just i don't know decimated a field or a forest or something right and it's just all now hardened lava rock the lichens are often the first things to colonize because all they really need is water and so like they can, and they can grow on top of the lava and this is because some types of lichens can like release they release acids that like break down rock and then they like take the minerals from the rock and then grow into the crevices and grow inside the rock and like wow. release more acids and break it down more and they're actually like a huge contributor to like creating that soil initially and starting up new ecosystems that's really yeah. cool. Very cool alongside mosses also contribute to this as well in ecosystems um yeah and so they also i mean they do a lot of other important things they take nitrogen from the air because the, if they're partnered with a cyanobacteria, cyanobacteria actually can fix nitrogen from the air and convert it into nitrates. And then when they decompose, or even when they just like leach nitrates from due to like rain and stuff, they actually feed the soil. And then they like yeah. are pretty much fertilizing other plants.
1: They're like a mini powerhouse for like energy and nitrogen, and yeah, like a farm. Yeah. Like you said, it's like a farm.
0: Sienna, yeah. What does this cyanobit of
2: cyanobacteria mean? It means that they're Well, so cyanobacteria are also actually called green, blue algae, but they're not algae. So algae is a eukaryotic cell, which means like all of the cells in our body, it has a nucleus and like specific organelles, right, that do things. Whereas a cyanobacteria or a green, blue algae is actually a bacterial cell. But there are certain bacterial cells that have the ability to photosynthesize, and so that's where the cyano comes in. So they can take light. Whoa, so it's a bacteria that can photosynthesize? Yes. Yeah. And so, I mean, this is like part of the endo- endosymbiotic theory of the fact that like eukaryotic cells stole bacteria to become mitochondria, right? That's the endosymbiotic theory. Well, wow. other eukaryotic cells, specifically plant cells that can photosynthesize are suspected to have stolen cyanobacteria for that.
0: This is super duper cool stuff.
2: Or stolen, you know, engulfed, surrounded, hired. Mm. (laughs) Cool. So anyways, I mean, I don't know very much about evolutionary biology, but that's my uh, very general explanation of endosymbiotic theory. And then the other thing I wanted to mention is that lichens cover about, I saw three different numbers, but they're all within the same range on the internet. They cover about 7% of the Earth's surface. Whoa, and that's so a
0: huge amount!
2: They're hugely ubiquitous among terrestrial environments, and also they you don't really find them in water. They're really more of a terrestrial organism, but they grow near water. They grow on sand dunes. They grow in the Arctic, and they grow on freshly hardened lava. They grow anywhere.
1: Yeah, well, considering that they can grow on sand dunes and lava and up in the Arctic... Like what What part of the earth, what part of the terrestrial earth isn't touched by lichens?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And like, I'm just looking out my window and all of yeah. the trees in my neighborhood are covered in some lichen. Um, yeah. It's on the rocks. It's like, it's everywhere.
2: They grow anywhere. They are extremely slow growing typically. Mm-hmm. And because they just shut down if they can't grow, you know, so they just wait. And then as soon as they can grow, they grow slowly. So then they shut down again. Like Beth was saying... The only places where they typically don't grow or can't grow is where there are places of air pollution. So they're like an extremely good indicator of the levels of the air quality in an environment because they can take components from the air and because they're kind of always exposed to the air and it is involved in their metabolism and their existence that they're really susceptible to different types of air pollution. And so you can kind of a lot of people actually use them to monitor air quality within certain places, and they're...
0: Yeah, I've heard that, I think.
2: ...particularly sulfur-containing compounds they're cool. susceptible to, and which come from, like, industrial pollution, so you can tell, like, how well... If you're trying to remediate a place or, like, reduce air pollution, you can really examine this by looking at the variety and types of lichens that are now growing in your little environment. So, yeah.
1: That's really neat. Instead of setting up, like, a, a sampling container to sample the air, you can just look at the natural... Growth of lichens. Yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah, and so, that's neat. Um, I also just wanted to mention that. So we talked about how it's made of a fungus and an algae or a cyanobacteria. So the fungus is the dominant partner, and there are two kind of major groups of fungus called ascomycota and basidiomycota. Mm-hmm. And lichens, frequently, the lichen fungus belongs to the group ascomycota, but also sometimes belongs to the group basidiomycota. So these are like the two kind of major fungus that are involved in creating lichen bodies. And I thought it was fun because I was like, what is an ascomycota fungus anyways? So here's some examples of ones that are not lichens that you may have heard of. So cordyceps is one, which is the zombie mushroom. That's the one that like grows in ants' brains and causes them to like climb to a high place so it can get sun and then they like spread from there. I've heard of that one. I have
1: never heard of that.
2: Ah, you, sh- you should look that up, Beth. It's a good one. Wait, what? So it gets into ants' brains and it does what? So it grows inside ants' brains and then it causes them to like climb to a high place so that then when it grows out of them and produces spores, they'll disperse further.
0: Oh, crazy.
2: It's the zombie mushroom. So look creepy. It, it is crazy. It is super creepy. And then the other one that you may have heard of, there's actually two more that you may have heard of that I'm pretty sure you'll have heard of. Morals, which are the ones that pigs sniff out. Mm-mm. Like, oh no, that's truffles Morals, I I don't know People Maybe people sniff out morals
1: <laughs> I don't know, some people don't have any morals but... <laughs>
2: yeah. I know people go Moral picking Seattle
0: works very hard at trying to get people to sniff out morals
2: Or morels, I don't know how you pronounce them They're uh, an edible type of mushroom That are like, quite fancy And then also, another type of fungus that you'll know of From the group Ascomycota Is penicillium oh. ah. Know it and love it Fun yeah. um, Fungus are, like, so diverse, it's wild. But lichens are also diverse, and we're talking about lichens. Big
0: up penicillium. So that was
2: just a little digression into the fungus side.
1: So so it's both it's both, ascomycota and basidiomycota that make up the fungal component of lichens.
2: Yeah, it can be either. Cool. And, yeah, and then they have the algae or cyanobacteria. Sometimes they have both, but I don't know. I didn't come across that a lot in my reading. Hmm. The cool thing about them, the other cool thing about them, is the fact that they live together like this means that they both produce... If you tried to culture the algae on your own, which you can, or if you try and culture the fungus on its own, they don't produce any of the structures on their own that you find in a lichen. And they also don't produce like a lot of the vitamins and molecules that lichens produce because they're working together. They really have like a whole separate set of processes that they do and that they like create that you would never find from any one of them on itself interesting which is crazy yeah and like
0: so they really are more than the sum of them they really
2: really are and people like lichenologists who study this it's like not always clear does the algae induce the fungus to produce a separate molecule that then the algae digests a certain way to produce another molecule like it's really wild and like the other thing is they produce a lot of molecules that you like don't find anywhere else or produced by any other types of plants or animals or anything. And a lot of these have really interesting, like anti-cancer properties or anti-aging properties that people have looked at in in vitro cell cultures and stuff as potential, as just like finding new like drugs to test, which is fascinating. There's a whole like fascinating side of finding molecules in lichens that are like, might have biological um, activity. There's a whole like subset
1: of chemistry dedicated to it, right? Like synthesizing natural products using yeah
2: i mean <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah but like a lot of them we don't know, even know how they're synthesized by either of the components so it's a lot of just like extracting them from lichens and finding out their properties yeah, because it's amazing we don't know how to synthesize them we don't know how they are synthesized like it's crazy and there are hundreds and hundreds of molecules that are just only produced by lichens that we know of i guess but so okay we're gonna come back to like just kind of some fun some interesting stuff about what a lichen is so the main body of the lichen. So if you look at those pictures, you see that they come in kind of different shapes oftentimes. Sometimes they like really stringy and hairy. Other times they're like really hard. They're pressed stri- like flat to rocks. That's the type that Beth was describing. Some of them actually kind of grow like almost like leafs or scales off of rocks, but are still attached to them. So these mm. are all different types of lichens based on like they're classified often based on their structure. And so this main body is called the thallus, and T-H-A-L-L-U-S. Thallus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what I heard. <laughs> I had to look up how it was pronounced. <laughs> and um, then, so you can classify them on how their thallus looks pretty much. And so, fruticose lichen, fruticose, have a coral or bushy growth structure. So these are the ones that are kind of either like hairy or stringy. And you'll often find them, I guess, growing on the ground or growing on twigs or growing off of trees. Mm-hmm that sort of thing, and they're not tightly bound to any substrate, you know? They're not- you can easily pull them off, whatever they're growing on.
1: That's like the uh, old man's beard that I described. That's like
2: the old man's beard. Another picture I have in there for you guys is the star-tipped reindeer lichen. What a name. Do you guys see that one? Yeah. It looks like- it looks like a coral. Yeah, exactly. It looks like a coral.
0: Oh, that looks- what- do you know where this picture was taken?
2: This picture I got from the Canadian Museum of Nature, which has a whole huge exhibit on lichens that you can, like, go visit sometimes when museums are open up and safe again and stuff. Where is the Canadian Museum of Nature? Um, I believe it is in Ottawa. Yeah, it's in Ottawa. Cool. And they do a lot of, they have lichenologists. They do a lot of studies of Canadian nature, unsurprisingly, and... This year, actually, this spring, earlier this spring, kind of like from through, I think in February, January or February, they announced that they were having a vote for Canada's national lichen.
1: <laughs> Canada's national and so lichen.
2: Thousands of Canadians, thousands and thousands of Canadians participated in um, this vote on Canada's national lichen. And what you're looking at right now, the star tipped reindeer lichen, was the winner. No so way. this is the Canadian national lichen. And. This is kind of where my big Canadian connection comes in, is this guy is, yeah, Canada's national lichen. And the, part of the reason why I was chosen, other than the fact that it is beautiful and super cool to look at, is that its job or, like, what it is, its purpose, why, why we know of it, why we think about it, is because it's the main food source for caribou. Mm. And caribou are obviously, like, a very important um, creature in Canada. So yeah. they just graze on this stuff.
0: Uh, is that why it's got the reindeer in its
2: name? Uh, it's very probable. It's very probable. So w- So there you go. Canada's national lichen.
1: And does that mean that we're now replacing the maple leaf on the flag with the star-tipped reindeer lichen?
2: <laughs> I, I hope that if anybody in Canadian politics listened to this podcast, they would think about it, you know?
1: Get on it, Trudeau. <laughs> they would
2: consider it. Maybe for like a year we could have the lichen on the flag instead of the... I
1: will say I'm just getting used to drawing the maple leaf with all of its points and (laughs) and vortices. so the star-tipped ranger lichen might be a little bit more difficult but uh, I can adapt Also
2: people might think like people might look at it and think it's a coral and be like why does Canada care so much about corals but anyways this is a fruticose lichen fruticose lichen yeah aren't strongly attached to anything and They have a coral or bushy growth structure. Then there's also folios lichen. So these are the ones I was kind of describing earlier that grow in like radially outwards from a central point with kind of plates or leaves that come off their substrate. But they are sort of loosely adhered to their substrate. So they have either little root-like structures that kind of kind of tie them down all over or they'll have a central root-like Um, structure that binds them to their surface but you can still like pull the pieces of them off Mm -hmm. and then the final type of lichen is the one that beth was thinking of which are the crustose lichen and so crustose lichen grow like flatly adhered to their surface they grow on and they mostly grow on rocks or like minerals i saw a picture of one growing on one of those electrical hydro boxes so like literally just growing on metal yeah yeah okay <laughs> it's crazy yeah. uh and yeah so they these are the ones that then will tightly adhere to the rock and they release acids that break it down and they can actually like grow into the cracks and everything and so some of them just grow inside of rocks which is wild and crazy and yeah. live there
0: inside
1: and I, I think it's 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 amazing that yeah. they can produce acids to break down the rock so they can kind of get like a footing yeah or you know hold on to wherever they're station. And I mean
2: more amazing than that too is that so I was talking about like the hyphae of the fungus. So mm-hmm. which is just kind of the string-like structures that fungus grow. Like this is their main form, I guess. And so lichen also have this form within their body, the hyphae. And with the crustose lichens, some of them will actually like use these hyphae to bore into the rock and like penetrate through it and I was looking at a study that was like looking at how deep these hyphae can go into the rock and one found that they can penetrate up to four millimeters down.
0: Wow. Wow.
2: Yeah, so pretty wild. And I think they do this. They like go along like fault planes of like the different types of minerals within the rocks and like navigate through cracks. But then they also just kind of like break them and digest them and whatnot. So they're pretty metal.
1: Yeah. Linnaeus didn't know what he was talking about when he discounted them as the
2: trash. I know. What did he call it? Poor trash.
1: Yeah, the poor trash.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, he was wrong in so many ways, and this is one of those. The other, there's two other like less talked about forms of lichens, and I wasn't sure why that was. I think sometimes like people just don't. Not all lichens fit into all boxes, and some lichens fit into more than one boxes. It seems and. There are other two other types of lichens that people don't always talk about, but that I did find in certain, I don't know, in certain websites and certain places when reading about lichens. So I was going to mention them just to make sure they don't go forgotten. So Mm -hmm. there's jelly lichens that just grow in like a loose structure of algae and fungi. So I guess the thing is, the other three I mentioned have this very like characteristic cortex structure of like a very dense outer layer of fungal cells followed by like a layer of algae and then a loose inner fungal layer Mm -hmm. of cells. But I guess the jelly lichens maybe don't have as much structure is kind of the idea I got. And then there's also another type of lichen, which I think are less talked about because they're very small and hard to see and hard to find, which are the leprose lichens. And so they like look powdery apparently. So I think they just grow in like little powdery balls. Hmm. So cool. it might just be that because of their powdery structure and the fact that they look like maybe grains of cornstarch that they're just hard to see and hard to find. And therefore people don't think about them very mm-hmm. much, but not entirely sure. Um, and yeah, so then just in terms of their cellular structure, as I was mentioning, they grow in this cortex, they have this tightly packed layer of fungal cells on the outside. And this is like yeah the outer layer. And in certain types of fungus, like the crustose lichen only have this on the side that's exposed to the air. The rock side doesn't have this, but If they have sides that are both exposed to air, it'll have a cortex. And then uh, just below this, you have your layer of algal cells. And this is because you want to be they need to be able to get light to them. So obviously you want them quite near the top. Mm -hmm. And then they have loosely packed fungal cells that like forms thread like structures and like wrap around the algae cells in just below that, which is kind of weird and cool. Yeah. And the crustose lichens are really cool because, well, they grow exceedingly slow, but they can also live for thousands of years. So wow. I found that there's this map lichen, it's called Rhizocarpus geographicum in the binomial terminology. And they have been mm-hmm. found growing in the Arctic and aged at 8,600 years old. Wow. So they can be among like the oldest living organisms on the planet. And so because they can get so old, they're quite often used by glacial geologists to estimate when a glacier retreated from an area because as soon as the glacier like retreats, lichens are gonna grow there because yeah. lichens will grow anywhere, give them a chance. Um, I mean yeah. they won't grow directly on ice, but if there's like dirt on the ice, they'll grow on the dirt. <laughs> yeah. So they don't care that it's cold, they'll grow. <laughs> Sounds like a Canadian. <laughs> and so yeah, they can um, the age of lichens can be used to approximate like when that rock was first uniced, essentially, which means when the glacial when the glacier left. So yeah. Those are just some of their scientific uses. But like I said before, they had like common traditional uses among indigenous people all over the world, dyes, foods, medicines. And so now we're going to go into discussing this 2016 paper that was published in Science about this specific type of lichen that looks kind of like it's similar to old man's beard, but it's not white or yellowish. It's actually dark brown. And this is a lichen that was a traditional food source. For many indigenous people in interior British Columbia, including the K'naha and the Sinaiaks who also had a medicinal use for it ah. as well. And the thing about it though, which was kind of interesting and part of why these people in 2016 decided to study it, is that it's called, it's, so its name is Brioria fremonti. I'm just going to call it Fremonti because there's another lichen that looks exactly like it except that it's kind of yellowish. And this one is called Bryoria tortuosa.
1: That doesn't sound so good.
2: Dermatii yeah, no. and tortuosa. And it's not so good because tortuosa is poisonous. It has this volcanic acid in it which is like bitter and makes you sick. And so obviously this one was not used for food and you could tell because it was yellowish. It was also bitter. So people would like taste the lichen before they actually used it to make sure that it was going to be safe to eat. Mm-hmm. But the thing about them, and what was curious, was that when you look at these two lichens, you can use sequencing techniques to determine what the fungus is and what the algae is. Mm-hmm. So when you did this for these two lichens, it was the exact same. They both had the same components. Interesting. So we didn't know like why one was producing all of this vulpinic acid, which gave it this yellow color, and was poisonous, versus this other one, which was dark brown, edible, and not poisonous. And this is like very important. We're like, why are these two lichens that they look the exact same way under a microscope? They have the exact same components based on these sequencing methods we use. Why are they different? Right? Yeah. The other thing that people have tried and tried to do in the lichen field, apparently, but haven't been able to succeed in is that you took the fungus of that lichen and you took the algae and you culture them together it never recapitulates any sort of lichen with like the fully formed cortex and lichen body, the thallus. Even just like putting those two things together, which you think is the whole organism, never successfully creates a lichen.
0: Hmm. Or like the
2: lichen that you would expect it to create, a real, a properly formed, healthy, happy, good lichen, you know? So what What were we missing? And this 2016 science paper, that's what it was kind of trying to figure out, you know? And It started by just doing, so this is a lot of like sequencing analysis. So essentially they were taking the lichen and they were using, they were looking at the DNA and sequences to look for differences between them. Mm -hmm. Is there any difference in the sequence of the fungus versus the sequence of what the fungus of Framonti versus the sequence of the fungus of Tortuosa? And is there any difference in the sequence of the algae of Fermonti and the sequence of the algae of Tortuosa? And they didn't find any, which is exactly consistent with what everyone had reported before. So there was no difference between them with the fungi fungi, and the algae. So what they did, and so what we, they knew beforehand was that these guys, Fermanti and Tortuosa, were both made with Ascomycota, uh, Ascomycota fungus, and it's the same one, obviously, between them both. Mm-hmm. So what they did was instead of just sequencing like Ascomycota transcripts that they wanted to look for to like compare between them, they just expanded their range and started looking at all types of fungus. And so what they found was that in the tortuosa lichen, they found a ton of sequences that belonged to the Basidiomycota family. Hmm. But that didn't make any sense because we all know lichens is one fungus and one algae, and it's either Ascomycota or Basidiomycota. Hmm. So then what they did was they started looking and they, like, took lichens from, like, all over the world. They gathered samples. They had, like, collaborators from Europe and from Asia and from other places in North America, and sampled 56 of these lichens within this um, family from six continents, it says, and found that within these lichens, they were always finding, in 42 out of the 56 sampled types of lichens, they found basidiomycota. When we knew these lichens were ascomycota lichens, essentially.
0: Wait, can you say that again? So they took
2: lichens from the Ascomycota lichens family essentially from all over the world, six different continents. And in all of these, they also found DNA sequences or sequences that were belonging to Basidiomycota, so a different type of fungus. Wow. In addition to the Ascomycota, like we all we know that these are Ascomycota lichens, they also were finding that they had Basidiomycota sequences in them.
0: So they found two different types of fungi and one type of lichen.
2: Exactly. And so they did this with microscopic imaging as well. So the initially microscopic imaging, it's hard to like, you can't necessarily tell the difference between one fungal cell and another fungal cell just by looking at it with a microscope. So what they did is they like used fluorescent probes that bound specifically to both the ascomycota RNA versus the basidiomycota RNA sequences mm-hmm. and so that's what you're seeing in that figure three thing is that these lit up cells represent different fungal types so they found that kind of dispersed throughout the lichen were all of these in like the phallus underneath the algal layer there was actually a lot of these basidiomycota fungal cells and it wasn't just ascomycota as previously thought and sometimes they were, like, interacting with or near the algal cells. So, it's, so it suggests that they're, like, relevant.
1: And there's, like, two different types of cells within the lichen.
2: Yeah, two different types of fungal cells. Wow. The major finding of this paper and like, what kind of blew the minds of lichenologists all over when it came out in 2016, you know, was the idea that a lichen, as already this really complex, incredible organism of two species, two separate species, is actually, like, three things now. Often it's three separate species, mm-hmm. and so they found also that in the tortuosa it had many more of these basidiomycota cells, and these were ne- very near to or like embedded in the like residue of the vulpinic acid or like secondary metabolites. Also suggesting that they like probably re- were responsible for the production of the acid, which is poisonous. But I mean, the more incredible, exciting thing was the fact that this other fungus is ubiquitous within the lichen. As well. It's not just the one fungus, it was two.
1: So are there other lichens that are thought to be only Basidiomycota?
2: Um, Yeah, so there are lichens that are thought to be only Basidiomycota.
1: Just because I, I ask because I wonder, like, up until before, before 2016, it was thought that you could have a lichen that is an Ascomycota and the symbiote, or a Basidiomycota and the symbiote. But this paper is kind of saying, actually, it can be a mix
0: of yeah
2: essentially that is so
1: why
0: did people think that it was or like why was it classified as a city of is it just that that one's more prevalent so that was the one that they picked up more
2: easily or i think it has to do with prevalence and like the location of the cells forming the outer cortex as well so i think it was just like the cells of the acidomycota are much more. Okay,
0: yeah, that makes sense.
2: Are much more prevalent. There's a lot more of them. I mean,
0: yeah, much easier to get
2: to. The thing is, the only reason they found basidiomycota was they started looking with probes for basidiomycota, but before that, everybody had just been looking with probes for ascomycota, and finding ascomycota, obviously. Mm-hmm. And there was, it's hugely abundant. I mean, you can see all of the ascomycota cells, so they just assumed, I guess, that the lichens were just made of ascomycota.
1: Because it was the predominant one in that, or those examples yeah. that they studied
2: in that like, Yeah, yeah. I
0: have another question. Yes. Maybe you're going to go on to talk about this, but have people now tried to grow all of these things together? Because you were saying before that they'd put yeah. in a fungus and an algae, and no, n- no good. I mean, so have so people is- tried
2: like everything together? I have no clue, maybe, hopefully. This was just part of the introduction of their paper, was that this is one of the reasons why it's interesting to try and find out what else is in these lichens, is because obviously we're not able to recapitulate them just by putting the two things together in vitro. Right. But I think there's many other reasons why we're probably not able to recapitulate them in vitro, which has to do with other factors. So in 2019, another paper came out that was studying a different type of lichen called wolf lichen. And so they essentially found the same thing, that these wolf lichens now also had another basidiomycota in 95% of the lichens they sampled. So this 2019 paper is titled Two Basidiomycete Fungi in the Cortex of Wolf Lichens. So essentially, wolf lichens were thought to be made of one basidiomycota and one algae, turns out there's two different types of them. Wow. In it. So essentially like what people what I upon my reading and what I was kind of discovering about lichens cuz I remember when that 2016 paper came out and I was like wow that's really cool cuz that was the first time I actually learned that lichens were made of two things was when I learned that they were actually made of three things. It turns <laughs> out. <laughs> so I was just reading about this and getting more and more into it and what I found really interesting is that there's this 2019 paper also showing like a different kind of cellular makeup of other types of lichens but then also just reading about it lichens often have bacteria living both on and inside them and also other microalgal species living on and inside them and people sometimes talk about them as like just micro ecosystems because they really create sort of like us in the sense of our gut microbiome being like a home for a bunch of different bacterial species in the same sense lichens are often are covered in different bacteria and these aren't always pathogenic they don't necessarily cause the lichens any harm sometimes they're just part of the lichen and like help with its existence you know so it's kind of this like really crazy weird organism to read about because you start and you're like oh this is a fungus and an algae but actually sometimes it's two funguses and an algae and sometimes it's like a fungus and an algae and a cyanobacteria and other bacteria that just live inside it and like that's where their ecosystem is you know that's where they exist yeah and other bacteria that live on top of it and then sometimes they also have like parasitic fungi that live on them too which is like a whole nother complicating factor and part of the reason why people didn't necessarily believe at the beginning that these fungi were actually part of the lichen itself because they're like oh how do you know it's not just like a parasitic fungi Mm
1: -hmm.
2: but you know you can these papers have like shown that it's they're picking lichen that don't have any visible parasites in them or any visible parasitic bodies so it's very very cool and exciting to read about because then you also think about the fact that like lichens are really fascinating creatures for the production because they produce all of these molecules i was talking about with these different properties and you think well no wonder they do there's so many rare and unique species all living together in a very specific micro environment
1: yeah it's it's so cool it it underscores for me the idea that like Life is so complex, and <laughs> yeah. we often want to put things in tiny little boxes and say, like, this is a lichen, it's a cyanobacteria and an ascomycota. Um, but then you have to expand that definition and expand it and expand it. And like, hey. <laughs> I was going to say
0: CF gender, like, yeah. <laughs> compared with the gender spectrum. Oh, we thought that was there were boys and girls, and now... Ah, there are people who are somewhere in between. There are people who aren't really any of those and you know, yeah, boxes just aren't always very helpful. Mm-hmm. Except when you're moving house. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they are very useful for carrying your stuff, but not very useful necessarily for categorizing lichens anymore. Mm. I mean, I think like there's still definitely some use. I mean, lichens are usually made up of a major fungal species and a major algal species so like there's some use to it for sure mm-hmm. in the classification of lichens in their study but also like looking into these things that actually maybe make them different between tortuosa and Fermonti are very interesting and like yeah it's always good to look at the things that make lichens different too yeah so i really only have one more fun fact about lichens and this has to do with their hardiness and i thought this was just like a fun little thing that I came across, and I'm not sure, I mean, I don't think, aside from the fact that their specific biology is to be able to survive harsh environments, they just shut down and don't do anything and wait for it to get better. Aside from that, I don't know anything more about the biology of how they do that. But that aside, my lack of knowledge aside on the specifics of how they shut down, lichens have been used to study how they might Uh, be able to exist in space so oh interesting a bunch of people have just like taken lichens and exposed them to space-like conditions so this one paper i was looking at was looking at this lichen called pleurostycta acetabulum and they exposed it to like extremely low temperature so negative 196 degrees celsius wow and oxygen depletion with complete hydration dehydration Mm -hmm to see if it could survive. It could. Wow. <laughs> and Whoa. not only that, then this other lichen called Xanthoria elegans was taken to the International Space Station and put on the outside of the ISS for a year no. for a year and a half and then brought back. No. And it was between, like, 70 and 80% still viable.
1: That's crazy. Wow.
2: So these things can survive anything. Because they were interested, like, can they survive UV exposure and radiation and cold and no oxygen and complete dehydration? Absolutely. Yeah. Apparently they can. Like, it's... The algae is, like, particularly... The algae is more susceptible, but because it's with the fungus, it, like, is able to survive a bit better, it seems. And so... Yeah, they're able to, like, these things, obviously parts of it die and it's not completely viable at the end, but still 70%.
1: Well, that's really cool that, like, something that developed on Earth, like it grew here, it, um, modified itself for conditions on Earth, can survive mm-hmm. fairly well on in the, the vacuum of space. On the outside
2: of the ISS. On the outside yeah. of the International Space Station. Oh my yeah. Like, Yeah. I wish we knew what lichen's thought about because I would just want to know what that lichen thought, you know? Like it's just there on the outside of the ISS being like, I'm used to some pretty harsh environments, but I have no clue where. <laughs> I mean, you know like that that thing was just got to the ISS and was like, okay, guess I'm shutting down until it gets better, until it rains again. <laughs> I'd be disappointing
0: my father if I didn't at this point mention the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh Because there's this part where... I can't for the life of me remember how it comes about... I think they're using the infinite improbability drive, which, like, is... makes infinitely improbable things happen. And, like, somehow this whale and this bowl of petunias (laughs) get created in the vacuum of space, and they're, like, falling towards the Earth. And, um there's like this description of what's going on in the whale's mind as it goes down and it's like um ah, and then it's like oh wow ah, I'm alive kind of thing and it's like um as it's falling it's like oh well I suppose uh, if this is what my life is I should start like getting to grips with it who am I like where am I like all of this and then the bowl of petunias apparently um thinks oh no not again (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and then the book's like, many really scientists have proposed that uh, if we knew why the Bowl of Petunias had thought this, we would know a lot more about the universe than we currently do. So actually, you're, not, you're not the only one that wonders what what botanical objects do. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> I love the Hitchhiker's Guide. That's hilarious. is
0: so great?
1: It's also explained in a later book that the Bowl of Petunias is actually some time-traveling space person or thing that keeps getting like transported into different objects oh, no. and was transported into the bowl of petunias as it fell and so that's why it thought oh no not again because it happens all the time that makes sense.
0: i never knew that honestly oh that's yeah. Hilarious,
1: yeah i i've read all the hitchhiker's guide they're Anyways, a very good series yeah. of books
0: they are very very good
1: I was gonna say, so should we replace all of those motivational posters that are like people climbing rocks? That's like you can do it, like just <laughs> yeah. hold on, just with yeah. a picture of the lichen on the International Space Station. Yeah,
2: because like they're yeah, the true uh, it's pretty, they're the true survivors. Pretty incredible. I'd be game. Like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, they're like super diverse. I think Canada has over 2,500 species of lichens, or something along those lines, and a lot of them live in the Arctic. They are just one of the most remarkable species for both just being a weird organism in general. Like, they don't fit our idea of what an organism is because they are composed of more than one separate thing, right? And then also the fact that they have these really incredible capacities for life that, like, many other things do not have.
1: I've really taken a liking to this.
2: They are incredibly cool. They grow everywhere. They make litmus paper, they make food, they are like used for dyes, medicines, they have lots of molecules with lots of really cool biological properties.
1: They've been to space. They have
2: been to space, which is more than most anyone can say. And <laughs> they're not just two things, they're many things. They're in fact like probably whole micro-environments. Yeah. Where things live and grow. And yeah. they live and grow.
1: I just picture it like a small little, like, farm or a yeah. city or a little town where you've got, like, you know, the, the plants and the animals and all the people all on a yeah. little lichen. All like on a little
2: lichen. All living together in harmony. Cool. It's very cool. So, yeah, that's so, the episode on lichens. I don't know. Do
1: you have a quiz? Do you have a quiz to test our knowledge?
2: Uh, I can come up with one. Let me just look back. Oh, nice. Okay.
1: I've got my buzzer sound ready.
2: Really? What's your buzzer sound? Tell me. Okay.
1: My buzzer sound is... Because it's the vacuum of space. That's not... <laughs> it's just nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Great. That's my buzzer sound. So when you hear oh this... Oh goodness. That's me buzzing in. Okay. <laughs> oh my god. I'm... No. No. <laughs> okay, fine. Um, My buzzer sound is... And it's the sound of the crunchy lichen as you're, like, climbing up rocks.
0: I'm going to go for, um... What is that? It's like aliens. Isn't it like X-Files? It does
2: sound like aliens, yeah. Yes. Okay. Great. So, what are the two major components of a lichen? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Beth, What is it? (laughs)
0: um fungi and algae and i cannot remember the name of the two types of fungi
2: oh yeah it's the oh yeah there I... you go um
1: the two types of fungi are ascomycota and basidiomycota yeah and the al- algae can be cyanobacteria
2: yeah, as well exactly oh yeah and funly known scientifically known as a mycobiont and a photobiont.
1: Mycobiont, right. And a photobiont.
2: Okay. And so this one is for both of you. Let's, um, I want you guys to name a structure or a, like, classification of lichen. Oh, no. Oh. You guys weren't wrong. paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, Alistair? There's the there's the um, the lesser-known uh, powder lichen.
2: <laughs> What's the name? <laughs> uh, uh, the, the,
1: the fluffy... Oh, no, wait, I'm going to do the jelly lichen. There's jelly lichen. I remember that one.
2: Yeah, that one's easy.
1: The jelly lichen, and it's also kind of lesser-known and less talked about.
2: Oh, my gosh, you guys. I and am it... nothing, I'm afraid. You don't remember the really cool names of lichen? Okay, that's okay. So there is fruticose, which are, like, Canada's oh, national like... lichen... The reindeer lichen. Um, there is folios, which grow in kind of like plates outwards radially and lift up off of rocks but are still attached to them. Okay. And then there's crustos, which are and that's the ones... And one that,
0: that they... I was thinking of.
2: Yeah, and they... I like them because, like, you can think of it, like, they really do form a crust on top of mm. rocks yeah. pretty much. Mm-hmm. So, crustose lichens.
1: Fruticose,
2: and... Yes.
1: folios, and crustos.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: Okay.
0: Once in a life scientists name me something sensibly.
2: <laughs> I honestly doing this like research, I really loved all of the words that came up. Like mycobiont, photobiont, crustose, fruticose, hyphae. I don't know. There was this the words just felt fun and pretty to say. hmm Maybe not so much thallus was not my <laughs> favorite word. I but... like that one. <laughs> 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 yeah. I just <still> enjoyed that. <laughs> and so, we talked about one. We talked mostly about one paper today that from twenty sixteen. So if you guys just want, tell me what that paper was about.
0: It uh, oui, oui, oui. <laughs>
2: you go, Beth.
0: Um. It was about how everybody before had thought that. There were exactly two ingredients in <laughs> uh, lichen which were which were a single type of fungus and a single type of algae or photobiote, photobiote, is that what the name is? Biote, yeah. Okay, I'm not very good at names, you see, this is the issue. So they thought that there were those two ingredients, but it turned out that in a lot of lichens, there are actually three ingredients, and ones that have been classified as belonging to a certain type of fungus also had the other type of fungus, and that's very interesting because it was unexpected, so it means that there's more going on inside the lichen than people thought, and maybe there's even more yet to be discovered.
1: Yeah. I got nothing to add, that's, uh, that's all I would have said, yeah. That was perfect. Were you an author on the paper, Beth?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Shh, I'm trying to hide my shameful biological past.
2: <laughs> Any last thoughts?
0: I would like to invite our audience to liken and subscribe.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, man. <laughs> on our social media channels. You can find us at not yet a doctor, that's not yet a dr. Not yet a dr. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and wherever you get your podcasts. And
2: if you are a lichenologist and listening to this, please reach out to us and tell us more about lichens because we would love to hear more. I mean, this was, this was just our first mini deep dive into it, but we would be more than happy to talk to you more about it. So,
1: You can send us an email at <laughs> phd32b at com.
2: And to all of our listeners, thank you again for listening. It has been super fun to have you i hope you've enjoyed the show and learned something new about a lichen today and yeah you should go outside and see if you can find any because they're pretty ubiquitous you just have to like start looking so this is sienna i am have been hosting this show for its duration and talking about lichens i'm
0: beth and i haven't (laughs)
1: <laughs> and I'm Alistair, I've interjected occasionally.
2: <laughs> and together we are the PhD three. To be!
1: Thanks for listening! <laughs>